Thank you, Kyle. Yeah, no rapture this weekend. I was kind of counting on that blood moon. I don't know. I'll tell you what, though. I'll tell you what's gratifying is to sit out here in the chapel and singing along and seeing up here in front Joseph Proctor and Joe Schneider helping us worship. I don't know if you knew this, but those they were little boys in my church down at Lone Rock. And they were cute. They were cute little boys. <laughs> you know what? It, it happens. Some of that can be fixed with surgery. <laughs> but that is, honestly, that, that's a real delight for me to have those fellows and others of you up here just to see what God is doing in all of your lives. And, and we're glad for what God is doing in Dustin Ortman's life because here he sits in chapel after we prayed for him here and there and all along. So it's good to have you back, Dustin. Good to see you here again. All right, Kyle Lockhart prayed, so we don't have to do that. Get right after it. Wonder if um, you've ever said this or heard someone say, with regard to an individual you know who isn't yet a Christian, boy, I sure wish that person were a Christian because what an amazing Christian they'd be. You ever said that? You know, they're, the, they're like somebody of prominence or somebody of intellect or somebody of influence, somebody very personable. And we say, oh, wouldn't it be cool if, if God would save that person and turn them in all their wonderfulness into a Christian? But you know, that's rare, really. And there's a principle in Scripture that Paul relates in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, something about God seems to delight in choosing the weak and the base to confound the wise. God has a way of taking things which aren't and turning them into things which are. And so he says, not many wise, not many noble. But you know, where we're going in the text today relates a happy exception. Because sometimes... God does reach into the heart of an accomplished individual and save them and change them and use them for his glory. And that's where we're going to go today. We're going to talk about Apollos in the book of Acts, the 18th chapter. Now, if things go well, we may be talking about Apollos every time I'm up here this year. We'll see. I hate not to try to exhaust something once I'm on it. Let's look, though, in Acts 18. We are uh, in the time frame of the beginning of the Apostle Paul's third missionary journey. I'm in Acts 18. I'm going to read beginning in verse 24. If you'd like to follow along, that would be fine. Otherwise, you may simply listen. That would be fine, too. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside uh, 
and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And then, and when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he helped greatly those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Isn't that great? Wouldn't you like to be around a guy like that? A power figure to be sure. As a matter of fact, these first few verses of 18 tell us something about Apollos and his impressive credentials. And I think they were. First, it says he's a Jew. Now, what that indicates is that he instantly then owns incredibly rich and blessed heritage. He can claim Abraham. He can claim fellowship, family in the people of God going way back to Abraham and all that God did, the way he blessed through Moses, the way God used Israel as his chosen people. And Paul would later go on in Romans 9 to talk about the incredible advantages it was, advantage it was to be a Jew, the, the tremendous advantages they held, having been the ones who directly heard from God and directly saw the miracles and were brought through the Red Sea Apollos had truly a rich heritage. And then, just his name commands respect. Apollos, that's, he's evidently uh, named for the Roman god of sunlight, a a Roman god. Uh, Sunlight, prophecy, music, poetry. Apollos, what a name. It's like he's got good stuff from the Jewish side and good stuff from the Roman side, but that name Apollos, there's something in a name. I watched Rocky IV a long time ago, and then a couple follow-up films, and I said to my wife, Mary, I said, henceforth, I wish to be called Dolph. There's something in a name. He's from... Alexandria. Alexandria, the number two city in the Roman Empire in its day, North Africa, northern Egypt, Alexandria. Alexandria was a city renowned for its intellectual potential. A university was there. The largest library in antiquity was there, famous library. Apollos was no doubt an educated individual, and the text kind of gives us a clue here. He's an eloquent man, a learned man. He's acquired whatever degrees he may have needed to. He is credentialed. And beyond that, he's mighty in the Scriptures. Mighty in the Scriptures. What might that mean? Well, I think the text goes on to help us with that. He had been instructed. He had received instruction in the way of the Lord. Apollos had an accurate handle on Scripture. He knew what it said, and I, I suspect he knew what it said beyond simply an intellectual grasp. I believe he had a heart for the Lord, that God had gone through his head, clear to his heart, and this man was tracking. He's Fervent in spirit, the word means boiling. 
type A, double A. The guy's a mover and a shaker. He can't, it seems as if he cannot contain himself. He is so excited about what he has learned from the scripture that he has to, he has to tell it. He's speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, which is a very interesting expression given what's coming. And it says that he's speaking out boldly in the synagogue. Not afraid to bring a new and in many quarters unpopular message straight to the heart of learned Judaism in the synagogue. He's taking them to Jesus in the synagogue through the scriptures. So far, so good. Would you agree that Apollos had a lot to work with? And he's tracking. He's on a roll. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. With all that Apollos had, and he had a lot, with all that Apollos had, it's what he lacked that he needed. And what he lacked was essential. It's what he lacked that he needed. You know, when you're out in the woods and you're high-centered or stuck in the mud, you, what you need is four-wheel drive. If you don't have four-wheel drive under those circumstances, it doesn't matter what else you have. You're going to sit in the woods. It's what we lack that we need. And God's ahead of us on this. As a matter of fact, when God comes through and provides what we need because, it, because we are lacking, it seems to me that that encapsulizes the whole notion of spiritual growth. When God comes through, when God provides, when God is sufficient, because we are not. With all that Apollos had, it's what he didn't have that he needed. And what he needed was essential. By the way, just on the side, what had he lacked? Well, he's acquainted only with the baptism of John, text tells us here. Interesting reference. What had he lacked? Just Jesus. In, in a very qualified sense. He knew about Jesus. He understood about John's baptism and about the Old Testament scriptures, which were to him the only scriptures at the time. And he knew that both the scriptures and John were complementary in that both of them were pointing ahead to Jesus, to Christ, to Jesus as Messiah. But what he didn't know was that that was an accomplished fact. What did he not have then? Well, the incarnation, the miracles, the teaching, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, the intercession of Christ, and the deployment of the Spirit of Christ to the church. That's quite a bit. I'd say he's doing pretty well considering what he didn't have. But what he didn't have, he absolutely needed if he was going to move forward, if God was going to move him forward and use him meaningfully. Okay, so we are we're reaching a critical point here. 
John's baptism anticipated Messiah, Holy Spirit's arrival confirmed Messiah. And somehow, Apollos wasn't in that loop. Being far away, I assume, would account for that. So, so, how did God reach out to Apollos at his point of need? And brothers and sisters, this is sort of where you and I step in to the dynamic. How did God reach out to Apollos at his point of need? And by the way, that's, we always grow. We only grow from our point of need, as did Apollos. God provides. How did God reach out to him? Through a rather unexpected source. Wouldn't you think that if you're Apollos and you are well-credentialed, well-qualified, well-capable, and, and you, you were missing something integral that was heavenly-oriented, don't you think Apollos would rate at least an angel? Or maybe, maybe a vision, a dream, uh, some sort of an epiphany from God. This is, you know what, Apollos, you are special. We are going to deal with you in a special way. That's kind of a Christian expression in a special way. What did he do? Well, he sent a couple of tent makers to talk to him. I think that has profound implications. Apollos, great as he was, was corrected by a pair of tent makers almost certainly a difference in class, social strata perhaps. Tent makers, how long did you have to study at the University of Alexandria to get a degree in tent making? But here they come, Aquila and Priscilla, and one of them's a woman. And here's Apollos. Do you know what he did? And this is our point. He listened. He listened. What are you going to do if you're the educated pastor or Sunday school teacher or missionary or whatever? excuse me, whatever you may be, out there and having come through Montana Bible College and perhaps beyond and having received a degree, being conversant in, well, not conversant, but able to read and study Greek and Hebrew. Your theology is in order. All is well. You, you, you know what you're doing because you're trained to do it. What are you going to do when that crusty old farmer steps up beside you and says, you know what? Let me help you understand this clearly. How are we going to handle that? Wait a minute, I'm the one with the one-year certificate. <laughs> How are we going to handle that? Apollos listened. My definition of listening 
is, is humble, honest consideration and openness to learn. Humble, honest consideration and openness to learn. Listening is not the same as agreeing. It's the same as hearing with humility. By the way, on a technical point, do not confuse listening and hearing. The only difference between those two words is one is transitive and the other is intransitive. And if you don't know what I mean, ask Louise. One of them takes an object, the other one doesn't. They mean the same thing. Well, you're listening, but you're not hearing. That's a dumb thing to say. Don't say that. If you're listening, you are hearing. That's on the side. Free. Back to the sermon. What if? What if Apollos hadn't? That's an interesting way to read Scripture because the Bible tells us what happened. And sometimes it's profitable for us to play the what-if game, particularly in a case like this where Apollos not only listened but, but went on to do great things. What if he hadn't? What if he hadn't listened? What if he was so full of himself that he just merely patronized God's messengers. What if he had just said, uh-huh, uh-huh, and then went on his merry way with no intention of changing or entertaining what they brought him might be true? What if he argued back? Well, yeah, yeah, but I... Christian workers do that all the time. So sure are we, or perhaps so insecure are we in our position that we, we feel compelled instantly to lash back rather than to listen. Again, not necessarily to agree, but at least to consider humbly. Apollos didn't argue back. What if, what if Apollos took it personally and pouted? We don't do that. Someone corrects us, that's the last thing on our minds, to take it personally, right? But what if he had? What if he had just said, okay, I'm done. If I'm, I've tried this thing. and If you're going to treat me that way, I'm just done. But he listened. He realized that, that the arena was much bigger than him. That the kingdom of God was a big deal. And that the God whom he had uh, taught about and whose scriptures he understood, he now could see in, in a fuller and bigger way. And he's excited about going forward, not sad or, or hurt because someone corrected him. Goodness. What if he just complained to others? Got on the phone. You can't believe what those hayseeds said to me tent makers, what do they know? He could have undermined the character of Aquila and Priscilla in response to their correcting him, but he didn't. He listened. And if he hadn't listened, he would have missed God's voice of truth to him. And who knows where he wouldn't have gone from there. Brothers and sisters, you will be listening all your lives. 
the Bible talks about listening with discernment, and we'll get to that in, in another chapel and all, but here, right this time, you are in Bible college with the idea that you will listen. And listen carefully and listen openly, and, and not everything you hear is something with which you will automatically agree. Sometimes your listening may involve correction. It's okay, that's part of learning. That's part of what we like to think discipleship includes. My encouragement this morning is to be good listeners, to cultivate humble listening while you're doing so much of it. What I tell young people younger than you, like if I do a camp or something, I drop a bombshell on young people when I say, you need to know that your parents actually know more than you do. Seriously? Yeah. I would venture to guess that your teachers here do too. Not that you agree with them all the time, but I'll bet they've been at it longer. I'll bet they've learned a few things too. So my encouragement again is to be good listeners we here at NBC have the privilege of, of listening and learning so many wonderful truths of eternal significance and beauty. That's what we're doing here. So listen carefully. Just as a preview of coming attraction, um, in the future I'd, I'd like to come back to this, this topic at least, and talk about why is listening so important. There are a few reasons the Bible gives us for that. How do I know when I'm not listening? You don't want to come to that because that will be far too convicting. So please stay away on that one. Get your roommate here, though. Get your wife or your husband here, too. I mean, they really need to hear this. And also, to whom should I listen? Where does discernment come in in, in the listening exercise? It's, it's very significant what the Scripture says in Romans 10. When I, often I've gone out to churches who are searching for a pastor, and there are so, it's so much different now than it was even 20 years ago in, in pastor search because of, the, uh, because of technology and what we can do with the internet and so forth. But I always encourage them, if they're considering a, a, an individual to be their pastor, that they should, they should listen to several of his sermons before they take it any further. And I'm careful to say, don't watch them. Listen to them. Listen, because Romans 10, 17 says pretty explicitly, faith comes by hearing. There's something about the ear gate that is a more objective filter than the eye gate. Listening's important. It was Jesus who said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It was the spiritual listening capacity that God took away from the Israelites when they decided they wanted to be more like their idols who couldn't hear and see anyway. So God said, okay, fine. Hearing, then you won't get a thing. Keep on hearing, but you won't hear. You know that passage. Because hearing is important. Faith comes not by seeing or surmising or arguing or ignoring, but comes by hearing 
and that's where we all need to be. So would you pray with me? Father, as in so many other challenges we have from Scripture as fallen people, this is so much easier said than done. Would you deal with us, please, individually? You alone know our hearts. And would you help us, each one of us, to listen well, to be humbly open to what the head of the church might wish us to grasp so that he might use us in a greater way. Thank you for these brothers and sisters. Thank you, God, for the truth that each of us is a trophy of your amazing grace. All in Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen.